Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Have you ever gone swimming and decided to try maybe snorkeling? That great way that you can pretend that you're part of the fish and part of the, by making, making it seem like you're in an aquarium and you're swimming around and following turtles and following fish and it seems like such a fun activity well that's the attraction that a lot of people have to snorkeling and in fact it can be a very fun way to enjoy your time here in the islands a lot of tourists definitely think so but several years ago there was a study that showed that the one activity that causes more tourism deaths than most others is snorkeling. And so today we're going to be talking with Carol Wilcox. She is part of the snorkel safety study that has been done here in the islands. And we're going to talk about some of the results. Carol had an episode about a decade and a half ago, and that kind of inspired her to get involved in the idea of making snorkeling safe for everyone. Carol Wilcox, thank you for joining me today on The Body Show. Oh, thanks for having me. Now let's set the stage. Fifteen years ago, you're you. Where are you? What's going on? And is snorkeling something that you had done before? Were you pretty good at it? I mean, I think the last time I went snorkeling, I I was boat sick. So, needless to say, I'm not good at it. But I'm curious. Set the stage. What was happening? Well, um, yes, I've snorkeled um, from when I was small and a pretty good swimmer, and. Um, spent a lot of time in the ocean, ocean activities. So anyway, uh, it was about 15 years ago, and I was going to have dinner with some friends, and um, I was feeling kind of tired, so I thought I would I would freshen up by taking a, a swim with a snorkel and fins and a mask. And uh, so I jumped in the water in Waikiki, and I was not in the water for more than 10 minutes before I felt very short of breath. And so I got up, and I, you know, I didn't get up, but I I came into a vertical position and adjusted my snorkel and mask, and and I was very fatigued. I could hardly move, and so I, I swam over to this post that was stuck into the coral, but it was kind of choppy, and so I couldn't hold on. I was getting weaker and weaker, so I, I tried to call for help, but my arms were getting weaker, so I, I pushed back into going into shore, and I, per, I couldn't move my arms at all, so I just kept them at my side so they wouldn't drag, and all I could do was move my fins a little bit, and I just barely made it up to the shore, and uh, somebody saw me and looked at me and saw that I was in trouble, and, um, and then I lost consciousness. Wow. So you were a little tired. Friends are coming for dinner. And you say, I'm going to go go in the ocean. I'm going to revive myself, go do a little exercise. And this is going to help get me uh, energetic for dinner. So you go out in the ocean. Now, you said you were wearing fins and a mask and a snorkel. Is that normally what most people do? I mean, I know the few times I've gone snorkeling, I'll have a mask, I'll have a snorkel. I, I don't really wear fins, but is that should that be a prerequisite or fins part of the whole package when you're going out snorkeling? Should everybody wear fins? Fins are very important when you're snorkeling, yes, because you never know when you're maybe want to dive down a little bit or 
or you get caught in a little current, or you want to follow something that's a fish that's moving along, and you want to just slide along with them. So yes, and for safety, they're very important. Now, you mentioned if you want to dive down. So to me, like those are <laughs> those are the expert snorkelers, because I've never mastered this. So with a snorkel, you can go under the water completely. And I see people do this, and they somehow get an air pocket or whatever it is that they do with their snorkel. So that's something that, you know, if you if you want to follow something, you should learn those techniques. You should be able to do that. That's correct. That would be why I'm not an expert snorkeler at all. Okay, so there you are. You're in Waikiki, tourist central for Oahu, and you decide to go out. Now, how far from the shore were you headed? You said you were in the water 10 minutes. You're a good swimmer. You probably got a lot further than I ever would. And there was like a post that was in the coral. So if you had approximately distance-wise, how far out do you think you were? Oh, I would say I was 100 feet. Not not very far. Not very far. Mm-hmm. Was it over your head? Yes, it was definitely over my head. And so there you are out there and you just feel, you said first you felt like you couldn't breathe. You were short of breath. Yes. And then you just felt extreme fatigue. That's correct. And you hadn't felt that snorkeling ever before. No, and it was it. it I knew I was in trouble. You knew there was yes. trouble. Yes, when I went to hold on to that post, I held on to it to see if I could get anybody's attention to get help, but there was no one around. And you couldn't even move your arms. And I couldn't move my arms. Which amazes me if you, like for me, if I swim and I, I, I generally don't wear fins, if I'm not moving my arms, I'm not moving. That's not swimming. So, so you luckily had fins because as you mentioned, just for safety, that's what you use to propel you to get back to the shore. That's true. The only muscles uh, that I had left were big leg muscles that were able to move those fins a little bit. Now, you said you went vertical to hold on to the post. Did you feel a little better when you did? Uh, I can't tell you because I, I was so distressed by then. Panic would have set in. Absolutely. I understand that. And then you came to the shore and somebody said, you know, this lady doesn't look good. And that's all you remember. Yes, I sort of remember getting pulled out of the water, and then I remember medics coming um, with oxygen. All right. Well, we're going to talk some more about exactly what transpired after that in just a little bit. Now, this inspired you to get involved in the snorkel safety study. And this was a study that, you know, was uh, part of a subcommittee looking at from, you know, the Department of Health, obviously, was interested. Why do we have all these tourists who come here? who have snorkeling episodes and what's going on and, you know, how is it that we can modify what we do or the instructions we give so that people don't have to experience that. So the snorkel safety study looked at what are the differences in different types of events that can happen. And there's a bit of terminology that I think we need to discuss. So what was the new finding from the snorkel safety study about how people who use snorkels actually have a different mechanism of potentially getting in trouble than what we thought. I think the previous thinking is, you know, if you're out in the ocean, you may have a drowning or a near drowning event. And that's not necessarily what may happen with snorkels. So what are these terms? Let's talk about drowning and near drowning and what this other term is that now has been associated with snorkeling. Okay, well, in in a drowning as we all understand it, or near drowning, it's a process by which you are generally submerged, you run out of oxygen, you panic, you struggle, 
um, to get to the surface, and eventually you inhale water and um, and instantly become hypoxic. Instantly you lose oxygen to your system because your lungs are full. And, uh, and if you get rescued from that and people pump out your lungs, um, you can survive, and that happens pretty regularly, and that's drowning. But what we determined was that there's a second way of getting into trouble. It's not, it's not um, technically drowning, it's, but it's from pulmonary edema. It's from what we're calling snorkel-induced rapid-onset pulmonary, pulmonary edema. That sounds complicated. We're going to break it down. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Carol Wilcox about what is snorkel-associated rapid-onset pulmonary edema and what are some other activities that have similar types of pulmonary edema. Why is that different from drowning? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Chaminade University and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we're hearing about a life-and-death situation that my guest Carol Wilcox was in about 15 years ago. She went out snorkeling to revive herself for a dinner out with friends, and unfortunately, in the midst of having that fun activity that she had done for many times before, she barely survived. Now, right before the break, we were talking about the terminology and the definition of Drowning and near drowning, which is technically someone submerged in water, potentially aspirating or inhaling water into their lungs, which is not where it should go. And it's that external source of water that causes them, even if they're trying to breathe in air, to not get oxygen exchanged. So our lungs help us to exchange oxygen, get rid of carbon dioxide. And because somebody gets water in there, they can't they can't exchange air, they can't breathe. So that leads them to to have this low oxygen lead to either potential death or alteration in consciousness, and maybe they get saved, and maybe they do not hopefully get saved. Now, you made a differentiation that something from the snorkel safety study determined that there's a different process. What is that process? And it was never associated with snorkeling before. What were some of the other activities that we thought might have been associated with that? Well, physiologically, um, Uh, pulmonary edema can happen under a number of circumstances, and it's sort of well known that at high altitudes you could get pulmonary edema. Um, Long-distance swimmers get pulmonary edema. Um, What what are some others that you can think of? Well, I think medically like congestive heart failure, right? So when you get your own body's fluids that your heart can't keep up with and it builds up in the lungs, then we call that pulmonary edema. So you can see it on a chest x-ray and There are certain medicines you give in that scenario. That's when it's predominantly medically associated. But you're right. Long-distance swimmers and high altitude, those are two episodes where there's such a, we think for high altitude, there's such a physiologic strain on your body and there's less oxygen at altitude that you start to have lower levels in your bloodstream. That leads to potentially having some problems. So now this particular concept of snorkeling-associated rapid-onset pulmonary edema what is it about snorkeling that would lead to this? Is it something to do with the snorkel, the mask, the device? 
Yes. Well, it, in the first place, you're horizontal in the water, and that puts some pressure on your chest and on your, your chest area. And then in the second place, if you are breathing through a tube, that can set up some resistance to inhalation. And that sets up, I'll get into some terms, it sets up negative thoracic pressure, and that can cause your bodily fluids to enter your lungs. And the more you the more you breathe through this tube, the more the more resistance that is caused by that snorkel, the less and less um the more the more this pulmonary edema increases and it happens very, very quickly. So it happens within with it. and if you and then if you start to worry and you breathe faster that accelerates the process so this whole thing can happen you can lose consciousness within 3 to 5 minutes very easily well and and the idea of sucking in air right like you're taking a deep breath in you're trying to create a situation where you're getting air into your body now if it's hard and there's a resistance to that you know it's kind of like and this is going to sound Strange and weird, but if you've ever bought a milkshake that's not yet ready to be a milkshake and it's too, it's still ice cream, and you really have to suction pretty hard to get that milkshake out, you even see the straw collapse a little bit. You know, you see that you really have to suck hard or you just wait for it to melt. For those smart people, wait for it to melt and then you don't have to injure yourself drinking a milkshake. But that being said, you really have to suck in really hard to get that ice cream to get through a small straw. In this case, we're not dealing with ice cream. We're dealing with air. So you're trying to get it in through a snorkel. And in that process, what happens whenever there's negative pressure is, you know, fluid from one area goes to another. That's kind of how things occur in physics. And so your own body's fluid might start to leak out into the lungs, just like it would if you had this heart failure issue, congestive heart failure, or you had high altitude or something else. So once the fluid enters the lungs, that creates a system where your oxygen levels go down. And based on your personal experience, what are some of the symptoms of low oxygen levels? Because you felt them. Yes. Well, as I, as I learned going forward, one of the first things you do is that your your body just goes to your core. Your all of your energy goes to your core, and you do lose control of your muscle, of your muscles, of your larger muscles and smaller muscles. So that, there go the so arms. There goes the arms. There went the legs, and you become a bit confused. Um, and of course, at the same time, I'm short of breath. But that's but the the repercussion of that, as I said, is just this huge fatigue. And and you want to sink. It was very hard once I once I got back up and tried to make it to shore. It was very hard just to keep my feet um, level, as opposed to just wanting them to drop and sink to the ground, <laughs> sink to the floor. So you kind of felt that pull to go down. Yes, and also I then I heard huge pounding in my ears of my heart. It was like a drum, and um, and and I knew I was I was going to die. I knew that. Wow, it was. I was very, very conscious of that. This was the end, and this is all happening a hundred feet from shore, yes, so close. in Waikiki, mm-hmm. one of the most populated locations here in the island at the beach. And there's people all around you. There are not people all around me. There's nobody around me. It was five thirty. The sun was setting. Okay. Um, so you're in the water by yourself. I'm in the water by myself. Mm. Now, there's a couple of things. That, you know, when you think about someone in distress, sometimes they can raise their arm, they can signal a lifeguard, other people might notice. But this is 
a unique situation. When you have this fatigue that makes you unable to move your arms, you probably couldn't even yell for help because you couldn't even get the vocal ability to even say, somebody help me. And nobody might have heard you. Well, you know, this is true. And this was the mysterious part of so many of the snorkel deaths that we have, um, that the lifeguards have reported is just people are snorkeling, they seem to be fine. And they're, then they don't move and they don't move or somebody notices that they're just floating around and they're unresponsive. But there's never been any distress calls for distress or warning. So that is a very typical aspect of pulmonary edema, rapid onset pulmonary edema, as opposed to the more uh, what we consider drowning, where there is definitely distress and, you know, there's, there's action Coughing, movement, trying yeah, to trying to get do help. something. Okay, trying to find the surface, trying to find air. I mean, this to me would just be frightening if I was a lifeguard because you know you go somewhere like Hanama Bay where everybody's snorkeling, and you just assume that the snorkelers, which are face down in the water with their snorkel coming out, you know they're just moving around because that's that's what you do when you see something fascinating and you go off to whatever fascinates you and you swim over in that direction and. Then you go back to where you were if you're following a fish or you're lucky enough to see a turtle or whatever else might be the case. So these are people who could look totally like they're fine, and yet they're really not fine. And they don't have the ability to call for help. And that's true. And um, so there is a lot of lifeguards now at Hanama Bay because there's a high incidence of problems there. So um, they've really reduced the number of, of fatal drownings or fatal fatalities, but there's about 30 incidences a month that they pull people out of the water that are in trouble. Wow. I just, I give lots of credit to all the lifeguards at every beach. Oh, they have a terrible job. You know, and it's, it's also lives are on the line yes. and they have to sometimes put themselves in harm's way to actually save someone else. And that to me is one of those professions that is, you know, talk about first responders and somebody who's willing to put their life on the line, you know, firefighters, lifeguards, police. It's it's really, I, I admire them endlessly. So can, just for, so for that exact reason, one of our conclusions was that the major responsibility for safety in this case lies on the snorkeler themselves, on the snorkelers. They need to take responsibility well, we are going to talk about some tips to make snorkeling safe, and we're going to hear the end of what happened to you as you got to the shore. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to hear the end of Carol Wilcox's story of snorkeling distress, and we're going to hear some tips on how to make snorkeling safer for all of us. We'll be right back. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Bavarian Motor Experts. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with Carol Wilcox. She is a survivor of a snorkeling incident that occurred about 15 years ago where she had a sudden onset of extreme fatigue, the inability to call for help, and the inability to move major muscles. This, to me, is just, you know, the reason why I, I I worry about being out in the ocean and I always do a couple of things. I generally don't swim out above where I can stand without a buddy. So we talked a little bit about this this mechanism. Now, we think 
that the study has shown that there are some differences in the types of equipment. So some snorkel equipment might be at a greater risk of increasing the resistance when you're trying to breathe in. Other snorkel equipment may not be. How do you know if your snorkel equipment could do that or not? There's there's some ratings that can be done. But if you're just a standard average person who says, I want to go snorkeling, I wonder if this equipment is safe, is there a way to know? Well, generally, I would say the simpler the the snorkel, the better, the safer, you know, the better chance you have. But it's not easy to look at a snorkel and determine whether it has resistance or not, because there might be some um, restrictions in the bore and the passage, you know, the air passageway that aren't visible just by a visual inspection. Um, I would say one way is if you put it on and you breathe in while you're on the on land, and if you feel any resistance, don't use that snorkel. Um, but you know, personally, I use very very simple tubes with large bores. Yeah. So large diameter. It's a tube. You can breathe in and out easily yeah. on land. And and the idea of having a rating for this eventually for resistance, I think, is a very good one. And it may come from the information that the study started to produce. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. How you can have the safest snorkels. Because, you know, I think there's probably are some really fancy equipment out there. And, you know, there's probably some that have certain features that others don't. And you have to be educated enough to know how to use those features. You know, and if you don't, if that's not something that you know how to do, don't buy the $1,000 snorkel if the two ninety nine snorkel is actually easier to breathe through if you're not a professional snorkeler. So you go get the real simple one. That that would be my, that would be what I would do because I'm I'm probably the person who's not going to go in over their head anyway. So call me a wimp. That may be the case. So now the other tips for snorkelers. You had gone out by yourself. And I know that although it's not a perfect system to go out with a buddy, it's probably a good idea to make sure that people know where you're going and that if somebody else is with you that you kind of make a pact with them, let's follow together or let's stay together. What are some other things that can make snorkeling safer? Yes, well, absolutely. You should always go with a buddy. That's that's the first rule. Um, and if you can't swim, don't snorkel. It's not that easy. Um, you know, we have found some risk factors that associated besides the snorkel itself, and one of them is heart conditions, and that can that can trigger this um, rapid onset pulmonary edema. So, if you have a heart condition, just be careful. Be careful. You know, you might not want to go out, or you might just be cautious. What I do now that I know that I'm very prone to this is I pretty much always snorkel where I can touch. Because, and you know, a lot of interesting things happen in shallow reefs. Um, uh, the other thing is um, beware of drifting away from your base. A lot of people, mm. we did a survey, and a lot of people who got in trouble got in trouble because you get so interested in what you're looking at, you get where you can't touch, or you get, you know, current carries you a little far and you get panicky. So that's the other. Always keep. Keep an idea of where you are, of your location. Look up often. Yeah, we can't swim like the turtles can. No. So keep that in mind. They're really cool, but they're really good at it too. Okay, so be situational awareness. Know where you are. Know your capacity and your abilities. Have somebody else who knows you or is going with you so that you're not out there rogue on your own. Now, 
these are things that, in retrospect, always are good to do. But at the time, you went snorkeling just 100 yards from shore in Waikiki just to see how things would potentially energize you. And let's get back to that moment where you come up on the shore. People start to drag you in. And the next thing you know, your medics are called. What do you remember from that event and how long did it take you to recover? We know you survived because, yay, you're here to tell me about it. What was that like after you got to the shore? Well, um, um, there was a, a beach attendant there and he had fortunately had oxygen, which is the number one thing to administer in this kind of a case. Um, and then, then the ambulance and the you know all of the EMRs came and they kept asking me the same question. Did you inhale any water? Didn't you inhale any water? And I said, no, and they couldn't believe it, you know. And so, But no, I did not inhale water. So then I was on oxygen. I felt great. So they said, okay, you know, walk over here because it was sandy. Walk over to the wheelchair, which was on a cement sidewalk. So I got up, took two steps, and dropped right down again. <laughs> So, so they carried me to the wheelchair, and so um, your muscles still didn't respond. No, but here's the other thing: they took the oxygen off. The minute the oxygen was off, um, mm-hmm. I I went down again, and the same thing happened in the hospital. I went to the hospital. They had me on oxygen. They were running all these tests and did all this stuff, and uh, they said, "Okay, well, you know, you're fine. Your blood pressure's fine." They took the oxygen off, and within two minutes, I I was unconscious again. So they they kept me in the hospital, ran tests, and the they thought I had a heart attack. Had I died, it would have been diagnosed as a heart attack because that it would have been in the end a heart attack. Um, but my heart was fine, mm. um, and it was pulmonary edema. Rapid, they called it flash pulmonary edema. And they were able to see this when you were in the hospital. Yes. That Probably was, on a that test was the diagnosis. Okay. Because uh-huh. that does happen. We see that in people who, you know, I, I think of the medical aspect. That can happen. It's very quick. It's very rapid. And boom, you have to intervene. So how long were you in the hospital? Oh, I think just overnight. I can't remember. Okay. But can I add one thing? So I was thinking about why me. I'm a good swimmer. You know, I'm a good snorkeler. And then I remembered the day before I had returned from a trip to Canada. Hmm. And so I had been in the air for quite a long time because there was a couple of flights involved. And I thought, that's what's different between visitors and residents. Mm. They have taken recent long air, air travel. And that might also be a factor. And that's part of what they're going to continue to study. Well, we hope our, our study is finished. And we have determined conclusively that snorkel-induced rapid-onset pulmonary edema, SI rope, is a factor in many, if not most, snorkel drownings, near drownings. Um, but we could not, we did not have the, um, the resources to test this other theory. Physiologically and data-wise, it stands up, but more studies need to be done, not by us. Well, and particularly because, you know, when you look at the the information on how many tourists die from snorkeling versus people who are Hawaii residents, there is a tenfold factor, if not greater, oh, greater. that it's 
it's very significant. So if people want to see this study, because I think seeing the report and seeing some of the information on it is really interesting, but it also is pretty dramatic when you see some of the graphs. Where can they go to get more information? Sure. They can go to snorkelsafetystudy.com. It's all there. And there's a little link for the report. They can look at it. Yep. There was a survey that was provided so people could report back if they had troubles, and this is part of what gave you some of the data. That's right. I have to say, I am glad that you survived, and I am amazed that due to this whole process, we have discovered a different mechanism of why, in particular, snorkeling, even if you're a great swimmer, could be potentially a problem. And with that, we certainly need to do more research to see if there is, as you mentioned, a travel situation where there could be, if you're on a prolonged plane ride, does that change things physiologically in your body? Potentially put you at greater risk. Uh, Carol Wilcox, I want to thank you for sharing your story, sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show, and for taking part in such an important safety study to deal with an activity that all of us just take for granted, snorkeling. So thank you for sharing with us today. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week. 